it's like a little cave of wonders that you never know what you're going to get and every little nook and every little room is different and has its own character very very much like india this is the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep food can deliver the fondest of memories Dishes, feasts, recipes, handed through the generations, reenacted at our own dining table. Indian cuisine has really been a driving force down under of late, as clever chefs gain inspiration from their heritage and deliver new and exciting restaurants. Ahana Dutt is the head chef of Raja in Sydney. Ahana, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. It's great to get you on the show. You've got a very exciting new restaurant there in Sydney at Raja. How are things going? Um, I mean, it's early days, but I think pretty good. Um, we started off a bit slower, but uh, it has been busy. Tell us a little bit about the restaurant. Um, so it is very much a contemporary Indian restaurant. Um, we call ourselves unapologetically Indian. Um, it was one of those things that I, um, Nick, Kirk and myself, we were very clear on from the very beginning. Um, the flavors are very, very traditional, but the dishes might not be how you would expect the dishes to present. Um, yeah. How did it all come about? So I think almost... Almost a year ago, um, I met Nick and Kirk through a mutual friend, um, and then we went out for a cup of coffee and dinner, and we mainly talked about our ethos about food and then the kind of restaurant we wanted to open and also work in, to be honest, and what our philosophy was and we were pretty much on the same page so it was a very easy decision um, for me at least to go forward with this. Well I want to explore uh, your food and what you're doing there in detail soon but uh, take us back to when you were young where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you? Um, so I'm from Calcutta, so in East India. Um, I was there most of my life till college when I moved to Bombay, Mumbai for a couple of years. Um, I think food has always played a very, very important role as with a lot of families. Um, my mom is an amazing, amazing cook. My grandmother was a really good cook. So I grew up eating really good food and I think that creates um, really strong memories when you grow up eating really delicious food. Um, and I spent a lot of time in the kitchen helping my mom cook and, you know, learning. And I very much believe that's where I got it from. It is funny because now it's the other way I will cook and my mom will learn things from me. So I think that's quite cute. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's uh, how it started, I guess. Are there any sort of uh, dishes or feasts that you can share with us from, from your youth that you remember fondly? So, so many. I think um, one of two things that really really I always talk about and the thing is my one of the dishes my mom doesn't even remember and there are these just savory shortbread biscuits but I distinctly remember the smell it's just butter and salt but um, I very much remember that and then the other one is she used to do this um, saffron yogurt 
just normal yogurt set at home, but uh, she would put heaps of saffron on top and it was sweet. And one of the dishes at Raja has a version of that, I guess. Um, and then uh, other than that, so many market visits because that is such a big part of um, Indian culture as well, I guess. Um, we don't really have... Uh, now there are he- quite a few grocery stores, but when I was growing up, that wasn't really a thing. So the Sunday market was a big deal. You know, you go in and it's busy and it's chaotic, but it is so thrilling because you have to, you know, haggle for the prices and then who gets the extra fish head or the, it's, yeah, it's genuinely an experience. And whenever, anytime my friends go or whoever visits India, I always tell them to go to the markets. It's a lot, but I think it's worth it. The food of India is so different depending where you are. Um, but tell us a little bit about the food of, of Kolkata. So um, I don't think a lot of people know about Bengali food. Um, it is, I think, quite different. It is very mustard forward. Um, so mustard, fish, rice and sweets are like the four pillars of Bengali food, I think, um, to the point where people make fun of us for how much we love fish um and uh all the flavors are complex but not in the way you would know it it's not heaps of red chili forward but more green chili based not to say that there aren't dishes like that but mostly that way um and the other interesting thing that like you said india is a very big country and it you know changes everywhere but to my knowledge there aren't very many other Indian cultures where the meal is eaten as a course so you have like how you have a French classical menu a Bengali meal would have different courses and a way that you eat things. You mentioned that you spent a bit of time in Bombay, Mumbai as well. Is the food there quite different to Kolkata? So different. Um, is so they're on the opposite end, opposite coasts basically. And um, in Calcutta, and both cities are very um, in love with their seafood. In East India, it's mostly freshwater fish, um, and then in Bombay, it's um, almost only saltwater fish. You very rarely get freshwater fish that's local um and then it's more red chili coconut uh, tamarind that kind of flavor profiles i guess um and even so there's a very large uh, chinese population in india um and indian chinese is definitely a sub cuisine that is very very loved um but even that between the two cities is so different Tell us about the move to Australia. What triggered that? Um, Well, I was doing hotel management in Bombay and then I want... um, So hospitality in India is very, very big. And I think it has changed in the last 10 years that I've been in Australia. But when I was studying, working there, um, it wasn't the easiest industry to be in um, not just as a chef but as a female chef so it kind of made sense to move elsewhere to um, really progress in this career and Australia seemed kind of like the best option at that point anyway Um, it the you know hospitality was is booming here and the culture is really good here I think and um yeah, it just felt like the natural step, next step. 
Where, where did you land in Australia and what was it like for you? What did you think of the culinary landscape when you arrived? I mean, I... It- I've been in Sydney, so I've been in Australia for about 10 years now. Um, and I've been in Sydney pretty much yeah, the whole time, actually. Um, and I was, uh, I think it was the culture that uh, really um, was different for me. It's, um, there's so much appreciation for everyone's work and everyone's role in a kitchen. And there are definitely kitchens that it's not that, Amazing, but I have been lucky enough to work in uh, kitchens where, um, yeah, it's always been just it's a yeah good environment and none of the the toxic aspects that can be there in this industry. Mm. Yeah. Tell us about the last decade in Australia. What's been the sort of really key venues and people that you've worked with that's helped you as you built your career? Um, so when I first started working here, I was working at Aria Catering. Um, so that was a massive, um, I don't know, work experience wise. It was pretty big, I guess. Um, not just doing, you know, working at an Aria venue, but also the numbers that we were doing at that point, And especially during New Year's. Eve. And then after that, I worked at uh, the Gazebo ga- uh, Wine Garden for a little bit uh, while I was doing my internship. And then I was at Fyodor for six and a half years. So um, I would say that played the most important role in, um, you know, who I am today. Take us into the kitchen of Fyodor. It's something a little bit different and special in the in the hospitality sector. What, do you have any stories of what it was like and the challenges of cooking over fire? Um, I think I took to it pretty well. Um, um, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, even to be honest, so even after I left last year when I tell people that, oh, you know, I was there for six and a half years and, you know, I just felt like it was time to move on. And obviously this opportunity came along and they were like, oh yeah, you must have been really tired of the fire and, you know, the hard work that goes with it. I was like, absolutely not. Like if I, I it, it is a lot of hard work, but it is so thrilling and um it changes every time and I'm very very passionate about that as well so um I have I I really really enjoyed my time there I mean there were hard days obviously but um the fire was never what was causing the days to be hard I guess (laughs) we've had Lennox Hasty on the podcast before Uh, do you have any stories of what he's like to work with um complicated but I would say in the best way I mean I I I would say we're friends we're going out for dinner tonight so um (laughs) I it, it as a yeah I think complicated is the best way to describe him and um I, I've said this to him I have not met a lot of people who I mean he's he's a big name everyone knows who he is but he has um this hunger for knowledge that is so admirable um like constantly wanting to learn and improve and um, do his best. Um, his execution isn't always perfect, but um, I am so inspired by that. So, What did you take from your time at Fyodor? 
um, the most important thing that I think I've taken and I didn't even realize that I had taken it um, till I started doing Raja because it was so normal for me is um, appreciation for really good produce and suppliers um, and I've very much incorporated that at Raja as well. When you do something and it becomes your normal, it is um, different when it is not everyone else's normal. But I've had a great time introducing people to um, all the different suppliers and the farms and the producers. And um, people get surprised when I know the name of the diver who's getting our scallops or the guy who's growing our citrus. Like, what do you mean? Like, but that is, um, yeah, very normal for me. What's it been like stepping into a head chef role and creating your own uh, menu for the first time? Um, so I think one, the other good, really good thing at Fido is that you get a lot of creative freedom. Um, Lennox does not, um, he runs a tight ship, but he is very, his palms are open when he teaches you and he wants you to showcase your heritage and 100% I, like not, he very, very much pushes you to be creative. Uh, to be honest, I think it was my third week at Fardor and he was like, oh, put a dessert on because I was doing pastry and I made this really naff rhubarb dessert, I think. And uh, it didn't go on the menu and it was totally fine. It was just a learning experience. However, right before I left, I did put a rhubarb dessert on and it did go on the menu. So um, I don't know, I thought it was kind of nice. But um so I've had experience with, uh, you know, making my own dishes and I would like to think of myself as quite creative. Um, so I've had a grand time planning the menu and doing all the testing. And to be honest, we didn't have a kitchen for a very, very long time just because of council and certification and stuff. So I did almost 85% of the recipe testing and stuff at home and, um, uh, yeah, it was definitely an experience. I nearly set my kitchen on fire once, but the alarms did not go off and all was well. <laughs> <laughs> what's, it, what's it been like sort of, you know, being a head chef is not only the creative side of things, but you've got to nurture the staff and create an atmosphere in the kitchen. What's what's that experience been like for you? Um, I'm very passionate about um, inculcating uh, good values in people and I'm norm even in life I'm quite a patient person so I have all the time in the day to help someone who wants to learn and wants to do the right thing even if they don't necessarily have you know all the tools to do it at this point and nothing makes me happier than when you give them the right tools and they just flourish um, and that is also one thing that Nick and Kirk are so great at um, I have never seen people who have such great work ethic and such great culture in um how they treat people and how they run a business and they're so genuine about it it is it's just normal to them it um helps when you work with people who are like that mm. let's talk about your food you briefly touched on your approach at the top of the show but can you take us through two to three dishes in detail and sort of that exemplifies uh, your cooking 
Um, yeah, so I would say one of um, my favorite snacks on the menu currently is um, it's just a, it's a raw albacore snack, but it's on a quote unquote toast. Um, so in Western India, uh, along the coast, you have this snack called a patrado. So you get taro leaves and they are layered with chickpea flowers, uh, like a batter made of chickpea flour, tamarind, chili powder, water and such. Um, then they're rolled into a Swiss roll. The whole thing gets steamed. It gets cut into pinwheels and then fried. So it's delicious and um it's you know it's a fun shape and everything as well so we're doing that here uh but with swiss chard and then it's just a little bit of uh, raw albacore on top with um we make a whole lemon lemon jam and gunpowder which is a south indian spice mix so uh, gunpowder is i guess the it's definitely an Indian term, but that's the English term. Um, I always call it uh, mulgapuri. Um, it's also known as uh, pitti chutney. It's just a chutney made out of toasted lentils, curry leaves, chili, and asafoetida. Um, so it's punchy, but it is delicious. It goes on anything. And uh, normally you would just put heaps of ghee on top to make it like a paste almost um, and then eat it with a dosa or upma, idli, whatever. I, I love it on like eggs or even just plain rice. Um, and then, uh, so instead of ghee, we are using uh, lemon myrtle oil. Um, another dish that um, I really, really like is our, I put it on as our vegan main course but uh, people love it as a little side number um it's uh hispy cabbage and between the layers of the cabbage um we're stuffing it with uh red lentils that we've mixed with raisins coriander echelots the whole thing gets pan fried and then at the bottom there's a macadamia nut salen so a salen um if i'm not wrong is a hyderabadi curry I guess I hate using that term but um, I've had to use it a lot to explain to people what it is um, it uh, yeah it's like super creamy and delicious and just gently spiced but um, I when you put on a dish on and you love it but you don't know if people would love it but people have loved that dish um, and then the third one would be the Chana Jilipi, which is uh, one of our desserts. Um, I went home earlier this year and um, I was just making things at home and I made this. Um, so Chana is milk curds, essentially, when you uh, split milk, kind of like making ricotta, except it's milk, there's no cream in it. Um, and then you knead it out, make a dough, fried soaked in sugar syrup um, our version is made with ricotta um, and then it's piped out into a little spiral fried still the sugar syrup but with the um, pistachio sabayon and salt which is very important what's it been like for you um sort of trying to strike a balance between traditional dishes and bringing them into a modern context does it have its challenges most definitely um 
I think I am lucky in the sense that I have never had to explain myself to Nick or Kirk, which isn't always the case. I think um, anything I've done, they've been very open. And I mean, there's always feedback, but it's always um, given in a very positive way. And it's easier to um, change and grow when it's uh, given in that sense, I guess. Uh, and I think it's been harder to explain to a lot of our customers because you have Indian customers who come in expecting a certain type of Indian food and then they don't get it. But when they do eat it, they're like, oh my God, it, it tastes exactly like that. But because it doesn't look like it, there's uh, there might be a disconnect. All you have to do is try it, give it a shot <laughs> and it will, it, it, and then I've had people who've been like, oh my God, this reminds me of Durga Puja or this reminds me of my mom's dish. And, you know, those things um, keep you going. I, I love the phrase unapologetically Indian. How, how do you capture that in the dining room? What have, what have you done to create that amazing atmosphere that you have? I, um, so it's. Uh, the word I think Nick and Kirk use are curated chaos uh, and it is definitely that uh, it is a hundred percent a maximalist space but the thing is when you put a lot of big bold things together it uh makes the space more seamless as opposed to highlighting the bits that are big and bold um I mean we have two tiger chairs we have two almost entire wall-sized flamingo murals there's um there's heaps we have a little private dining room uh which is gonna have tented ceilings um everything there's every aspect there's um heaps of prints everywhere um out there's fans outside that you know even during winter keep going we have um, heaps of lighting that goes behind the furniture and um, Rosie Rainbow who's one of uh, Nick and Kirk's friends from 15 years ago I believe um, she's designed the space all from the US she doesn't even live here and has done such a great job you you walk in and because you walk past it sometimes because you um the door is so unassuming and then you walk in and my friend said it really well she was like it's like a little cave of wonders that you never know what you're gonna get and every little nook and every little room is different and has its own character very very much like India you know every every kilometer you go it's different so <laughs> <laughs> how has this foray into your heritage um made you feel has it had an impact on you well, most definitely i mean i've uh, i think i've said this to a lot of people now i feel such a sense of pride in being able to do this um and i take this job very very seriously um and um the other thing that goes with it is that i'm learning as well it's not um we never wanted to do this as a way of oh this is how Indian food should be or it's just fun you know this is the kind of food I've grown up with uh this is the kind of food that Nick and Kirk experienced when they went to India and we just want people to have a good time but it has it it is um 
definitely been a learning for me because you get to learn so much about different cultures and you know how they eat and what they eat and there's so much more this is i mean it's the first menu and um i was telling ollie who's my sous chef and wonderful how this is even though it's a lot and it is a lot i know because i had to give a five and a half hour front of house training um <laughs> but uh this i think is the most basic i could have gone with um yeah, with all the things that are available in India. Well, it's incredible what you're doing there, Raja. What, what do you love about what you do? Oh, oh, that's a very interesting question. I don't think everyone, anyone's asked me that. Um, I think just from like an everyday point of view, I just really love cooking. Um, it, I, I don't know if that's very generic but I truly really enjoy to cook I still cook at home um, and you know every time whenever I'm cooking a cabbage if it's like the perfect caramelization and then the stem is caramelized which means it's going to be delicious um, it, it always makes me happy um, and I think that's why I do this it would be very I know a lot of people not everyone is uh, lucky enough to do a job that they love as much as I do, but um, I am. I really love to cook. Well, it's um, amazing to hear what you're creating there at Raja and an absolute honour to get you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear a bit of your story. I look forward to hearing much more of it. So please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Most definitely. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au and be well.